Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting and a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way. When he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now Pharaoh heard this saying, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up, and he helped them and watered their flock. We consider the life of Moses. We're looking at uh, God is working and God is moving, even when we don't see it. And this morning I want to speak to you about God is working on you first. On you first. When we consider their circumstances, Israel now is dealing with hard bondage. They're crying out to God. The Bible says in verse 23 that their cry came up unto God and he's heard, he's already planning. He's already uh, delivered Moses from death. He's put him in the palace. And uh, when you truly meditate on the details of this story, uh, we're talking about the supernatural in every single step. The fact that he wasn't eaten by crocodiles in that river or that little ark made by his mother didn't tip over and sweep him away into the waters. And then after he is found, uh, this, this same man that has ordered the death of all these babies now allows this child, this Hebrew child, to be raised in his palace as if he were uh, not just a grandchild, but an actual son. That's all the miraculous hand of God. But here's what God is doing we, we look at the bigger picture. We look at the national picture. And here's what these Jews were living. Circumstances were extremely harsh. They're crying out to God for immediate deliverance. And they've put God on a timetable. God, this is what we need done. This is how we need it done. And this is when we need it done. And God's working in a different way. But he does it first through the preparation of spiritual leadership. Yes. Now, God can work divinely. We see him working supernaturally. But God uses men. God uses spiritual leaders. Here's what we don't like, the spiritual facts in 2023, that God uses men despite their deficiencies, but he's got to grow them into a position where they're actually capable of stepping into a spiritual role. And this was not an easy process. We're a McDonald's generation that likes to drive up, place our order, throw some money on the table, walk out with a hamburger, and everything be done in 15 minutes my way, exactly lettuce, pickle, no ketchup, a touch of mustard, and a tomato. That doesn't happen in Christianity. God has a plan, and God has a higher purpose, 
and he's going to take Moses through several schools. And uh, here we see when, when Moses has this, this calling, God is investing a lot in his life. And young people, uh, I, I know your parents can use an excuse. They have no excuse, but they might find an excuse. Well, I didn't get saved until I was 35 or 40, and I wasn't raised in this kind of environment, and I didn't go to Bible college. Uh, they have no excuse, but you specifically have absolutely zero excuse. God has invested in you from before the minute you were born up until this moment. That means your eyes ought to be focused on him. Your heart ought to be committed to him. And you ought to be lifting up your thoughts every day. God, what do you have for me? I am not going to waste what you've invested in my life. Now go with me to Hebrews for just a moment. A text we're all very familiar with. This speaks a few verses on the life of Moses. And keep your finger on Exodus 2 because we'll be primarily in these two texts this morning. God is looking for someone with the right kind of heart that he can mold into the spiritual servant, the spiritual leader that he desires that person to be or to become. Verse 24, look what it says, Hebrews 11, 24, by faith. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now mark the next word, what's it say? Choosing. Verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt. Now, when we talk about Moses' heart, we got to start out by talking about Moses' choices. Because when he was raised in the palace, we talk about his mother having to give him up uh, there and put him in the river. But it goes way beyond that. Uh, these parents had to give him up to God every day because they're looking at a wicked king in a wicked environment, receiving a wicked secular education. Everyone around him was vile, uh, not just serving different gods, but a multitude of false gods. And that mother's thinking, what kind of deep and wrong uh, indoctrination is he receiving? What kind of pagan is he going to become? Every moment that she had with her son was highly treasured where she was making sure. Now remember, she didn't have a Bible to read him. She didn't have a church Sunday school to take him to. She didn't have a youth pastor to reinforce what she was teaching him. Those moments together were highly precious. And she was saying, I want to make sure before he goes back to the palace and his mind 24-7 is under the tutelage of heathens, pagans, and those that not only don't believe in God, but hate our God. I, I want to make sure he's able to counter that with some level of spiritual strength. Let me ask you this. How does a man raised in this kind of environment, 40 years in, when given a choice, and here's, here's his choice. Look back at it. I don't think we consider enough what his choice was. When Moses was come to years, he refused. What? A, a good paying job, a great salary, a position at a company. He, he refused a, a free education at Harvard. No, no, hold on for a second. This was the greatest offer given to any servant of God in the history of mankind. Yeah, right. The world's ruling empire, 
Egypt. And according to history, this Pharaoh did not have a son, but he had a daughter that now had a son that was a Hebrew that would be heir to the throne. The offer is made. Now, if he refused, that means the offer was made. The offer's on the table. You get to be called his grandson, heir to the throne. That means, now hold on for a second. You remember what Joseph did during a time of famine. In order to keep this land alive, he, he planned and he, he saved the corn and he put things in order. But at the end of the day, when the corn was gone, these people basically sold their lands to Pharaoh and he allowed them to work them and keep the crop. And he ended up as the owner of everything. Pharaoh at this point is the proud owner of everything in Egypt. And Moses... All he has to do is say, I'll be called her son, your grandson, heir to the throne. That's all. He just has to say yes. And he says, no. Can you imagine Pharaoh's face? We, we've invested in you for 40 years. We, we've given you the greatest education that a man could desire. Look what it says in Acts chapter 7 for just a minute. Now, keep your fingers in these texts because these are the three crucial texts this morning that we'll be referring to, Acts 7, 22. Look what it says. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was what? Mighty, Mighty in words and in deeds. He was known because Pharaoh said, if this is the next in line to the throne, I want to make sure he has the greatest teachers, so he ends up with the greatest knowledge, greatest skills, so he is more than capable and competent of stepping into this role and ruling over Egypt. You're, you're talking about degrees and instruction in the art of war and in every science and in leadership. This man was well known and became mighty in his ability to speak and lead and what he had accomplished was second to none. And once the king was confident that this is the man for the job, although a Hebrew, he says, you were raised in my house, you were prepared for this moment, and I am offering you to sit on this throne. What do you think? He's expecting a hug, a heartfelt yes Someone overwhelmed by the fact that he has been chosen, although not specifically from his bloodline. This is a gift that's unparalleled yes. in history because these are people that he hates. But he says, I'm going to give you the throne. And Moses had already come to the determination in his mind. Now, let me ask you. How in the world would, he, would, a, would a man come to this determination if he was raised in this environment and he sees the other side of the fence? My mother has nothing. My people work as slaves. I can choose a life of rejection and a life of suffering and a life of hurt and a life of sorrow or I can choose a throne, and everything I desire I already have except the highest of all positions, and that'll soon enough be mine. 
Now, who in their right mind is going to walk away from that? Can you imagine Pharaoh's face when Moses looked at him? And here's Moses at 40 years of age, and he says, I refuse to be called. Now, if, if he would have just said, no, I can't take the offer, that would have been bad enough. But when he says, I refuse to be called the son of that woman because my mother is a Hebrew and my people are the Jewish nation and those that I call my brethren are slaves and they're a hated race. Can we, can we wrap our mind around the magnitude? Can, can we go beyond the words of this verse and try to comprehend for a minute the choice that was made and the difficulty because he still had a human nature. Isn't it strange that Christians today struggle it piddly? It, it the most piddly offers. They'll miss church services for an additional $10,000 a year. They'll move from a place with a good church to a place with no church in order to make an extra $25,000 a year and have better health benefits. They'll sell alcohol or serve alcohol in order to gain larger tips as a waitress. We're not talking about larger tips or a greater salary, more square footage in a house, or a, a job that comes with fuel benefits. I can't attend Wednesday night church because they're providing gas covering my mileage. You gave, you gave up commitment to God for 15 cents a mile? We're not talking about that kind of decision. We're talking about in all of the Bible, all the servants of God, and in all the history of Christians, as far as we know, the greatest offer ever put on the table, and he said, I refuse. And he didn't just say, I refuse the throne. He said, I refuse to be called her daughter. Can you imagine this man that invested this much? He suddenly, something changes inside of him. From holding Moses in his highest regard, those hopes were dashed, and suddenly that love turns to... I would say nearly dislike or possibly hatred. Now at this point, he doesn't totally remove Moses from the picture, but Moses knows he has the calling of God on his life and he knows this is going to come at great cost. Now look what it says, Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25. It wasn't just the position that he gave up. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the what? He gave up the pleasures as well. Now, we speak about this, yet act in our lives like our offers and our pleasures are the greatest sacrifice anyone could make. Now, I don't think he was giving up smoking or drinking or drugs, that, that kind of thing. Okay, young people, when we're talking about the pleasures of Egypt... We're just talking about becoming a sober-minded Christian. When you get with someone and say, well, I wouldn't want to be a Christian, they can't do anything. 
I mean, they can't go to the movies. They can't get drunk. They can't smoke weed. I mean, that's a horrible life. Can you imagine life without weed? Can you imagine life without alcohol? Can you imagine life without movie house? That, that, I'm, we're not talking about that. Young people, we're talking about a step way above that. We're talking about a sober-minded young man that says, I could have any of the entertainment that I wanted. I, I could make my life a life of ease and of comfort. But I'm going to make, I'm going to choose a life that says, I'll choose sacrifice and eternal gain over earthly pleasure. And the Bible says this, those pleasures are only for a season. And when you look at that season in light of eternity, it's a blink of an eye. And here's what, here's what the average Christian has done. We're talking about God working in ways we don't see it. And we look at our nation and we look at our politics and we look at our economy and we're looking at the problems that are going on around us and the real problem lies in undeveloped or underdeveloped spiritual leadership in the church. Because God says, you're looking at all those things out there. I'm trying to fix you. We can't fix anything till we fix you. God said, Moses, I have my plan is to use you as a leader, but I can't even use you as a leader. And Moses at 40 says, but I speak and I'm mighty in word and I'm mighty in deed. And he walks out and we know what happens next. God takes 80 years to prepare a man for his moment. 80 years. You got to love it. I remember when I came out of Bible college, I graduated when I was 20 and a half years old, got married the next day, and moved to Austin to become an assistant pastor. 20, I thought I was ready for life. <laughs> and I look back and think, I, to this day, to this day, I still confess at time during prayer. God, if there were, I know there were. They just didn't make it known. I can't imagine the people that I hurt in ministry at 20, 21, 22, 23. Just useful stupidity. Lack of life experience. Not intentional. But underdeveloped, undertrained, underprepared. And here's what happens. God said, Moses, I'm going to go, I'm going to send you to school for 80 years because in order to truly help people, I've got to help you. In order to fix this situation, I've got to fix you. And while everyone else was in a hurry, God was the only one saying, no, you need the right leader, and he's the right person. But he's not the right leader until I've done a work in his heart. Now, it started with choices. And young people, this is where spiritual leaders talk. It starts with choices. It doesn't end there. Just because you made the right choice, I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do right, and I'm going to be a soul winner. So I'm ready because I made the right choice. No, that, that's the starting point. That's where God begins to work and God begins to move. But here's what God's going to have to do. He's going to have to take this man and say, you've got to have in your heart to walk away from these positions. And men, let me, let me tell you, if you do not make these same decisions that he made, you cannot ever be the spiritual leader that God needs in your home or church. 
When position has you, when pleasures have you, go back. Look what it says. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Reproach to be greater riches than what? The treasures in Egypt. Those are possessions he walked away from. Aren't we convinced by our side? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he could have been the owner of Egypt. He could have been so wealthy that it would make Musk look poor. And he said, you want to give me the keys to the kingdom and I want to tell you something. I refuse. The throne, I refuse. The treasures, the pleasures. Now, young people, this doesn't mean that you can't have any treasure in life, any possession in life, any blessing. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about it can't have you. And it does for the majority of Christians. It does. Pastor, you're overly generalizing. No, I've been in this a long time. It has a chokehold on the average Christian. It has a chokehold on the average servant of God. It has a chokehold on the average pastor and evangelist in this generation. And here's what Moses did. He took all those things that we highly esteem, even as Christians, and he said these words, I refute whatever offer it is you're giving to me. Now, here's, here's what's going to happen. Go back to Exodus chapter 2. Because when he chooses this, look, look what happens in his mind. Verse 11. It came to pass those days when Moses was grown, then he went out unto his brethren. Now, hold on for a second. His mind is flipped to switch because his brethren at this point, he looks like an Egyptian. Matter of fact, in this, these people thought he was an Egyptian. When he shows up to help those girls, they thought he was an Egyptian. He looked like them. He talked like them. He was educated like them. He ate like them. Everything he did looked like an Egyptian. But at some point he said, these Hebrews that are suffering are my brethren. And he looked on their burdens. He spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew. One of his brethren. Now in scripture, God doesn't ever place any word by accident. He's highlighting the mentality that is in Moses's heart and mind. These are my brothers. He had seen their suffering before. Did you guys honestly think this is the first time you'd noticed? All oh, these guys are suffering. He'd been visiting his mother for 40 years. But this is the first time he looked. It hit him. There's something that is taking place. Now, when he does this, look what it says in verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he did what? He wouldn't have had these same thoughts previously to the refusal of the offer. But now that he's gone through all this training, and Moses has looked his father figure in the face and said, I refuse. Now that he goes out and, and he kills an Egyptian, Pharaoh's a type of Satan. Pharaoh's a type of the Antichrist. We, we know these things. But in this case, young people, if you commit yourself to, the, to God, to the service of God, and you walk away from whatever Satan's offer is, he's going to hate you. He's not going to be happy with your decision. He's not going to be happy with your life. 
He's already lost your soul. He doesn't want to lose uh, the rest of your life. And here's what he's going to do. Moses is going to have to flee. Now, I want you to see something besides his choices. And we understand the basis of his choice in Hebrews. What's it say? You, you know what? We better, we better just go over there one last time. Hebrews verse 24. What was the basis of his choice? By faith. Verse 27. By faith. Everything he did, he's rewarded with the supernatural. Why? Because he decides to live by faith, not by sight. You say, how great was his sight? Well, verse 27 tells us how great his sight was. It wasn't 2020. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw all the way to eternity. That's pretty good vision. You know most Christians never get to that point. They never get to the point where they see all the way to heaven, see all the way to eternity. He forsakes Egypt. He doesn't fear the wrath of the king. He endures. He sees him who is invisible. That's all faith. Now, go back to Exodus chapter 2. Those were his choices. We're all familiar with them. Let's talk about his concerns. So he sees this Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. Verse 12, he looks this way and that way. When he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews stroked together. He said to them, to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Then jump down to verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came, they drew water, filled the troughs of the water with their father's flock, and the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them. Why is it in this short chapter, 40 years of life, and these are the three stories that God gives us concerning Moses? Once again, let, let me ask you this. If you're going to write a man's biography and you're covering 40 years, are these your general statements and paragraphs? There's a fight, he stepped in to intervene. There's another fight the next day, he steps in to intervene. He runs to the desert. These poor girls trying to get water. The shepherds won't let them have water. He steps in and intervenes. Do you see a pattern here? What is God trying to show us? Here's a man that is concerned about those that are hurting and helpless and defenseless. And he says, if I can possibly be a help, I'm going to step in and try to help. That's a spiritual leader. You know what a spiritual leader does? He says, I'm going to help those that need help, and it may cost me something, and it may hurt me at the moment. It may actually endanger me. Let, let me ask you this. If you see an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and, and how many of you have ever been in a parking lot, been somewhere, and you saw a fight going on? He said, I think I'm going to step in there and help that poor person getting beat up. You know what you're saying? Honey, get in the car. You're pulling rubber like you're 18 years old, drag racing on slaughter. He is going to endanger his life because he says, this, this is the heart of a leader, and God is trying to show us the heart of a spiritual leader that says, I got to step in. I don't want a confrontation. I, I don't want to put myself in the middle of a confrontation. I, I know people think, ah, pastor, he loves a confrontation. I hate confrontation. The older I get, the more I hate it. I prefer to be loved Instead of being disliked or misunderstood or hated. But that is life. And here's what happens. When you work your spiritual leadership, there's some things just need to go because trying to address it would only make it worse. But most of the times, 
problems that divide churches or marriages or uh, businesses. It's because a leader doesn't have enough backbone to step in before the problem becomes large and preemptively deal with the issue in a proper, appropriate, spiritual manner. Now, here's the problem. The, the first one, okay, I, I believe we ought to go in uh, with, with words, if at all possible, uh, not by force. Uh, he, he went in. I, I don't know. We're not there. God doesn't tell us all the details. All we know is his life changed drastically after this first intervention. Things quickly got bad. Now, Moses was trained in the art of war. So when he thumped this man, okay, whatever he hit him with and wherever he hit him was not an accidental death. Okay, Moses knew how to take a man off the planet and into eternity. And when he went up there, he thought someone's life was in danger. And he said, hey, bloke. Step back, because I don't want to hurt you. And the bloke said, you hurt me. And the next thing you know, uh, he's either in heaven or hell, and he's no longer on the earth. Now, here's what happened. He acted very hastily. When we're dealing with confrontation, here's what spiritual leadership does. It can't go in in the arm of the flesh. You know how much is done in the arm of the flesh? A lot. You, You know how much we claim to be spiritual and it's done totally in the flesh. We could fast forward. Here's what he did. God had so used that desert experience to humble and train and mold and fashion Moses with all the circumstance he dealt with. We see one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the history of mankind with one weak moment, frustration at the people. He's supposed to speak to the rock And instead, he's so frustrated by them, he speaks to the people and smites the rock. His one-week moment. You know what the average spiritual leader is doing? What Moses did one time in 40 years with a million and a half crying babies. We get frustrated instead of speaking to the rock. We speak to the people and smite the rock. God had weaned this out of him in those 40 years in the desert. And here's what a spiritual leader is. God's working on his heart. He's already made the spiritual choices. But young people, you can make the spiritual choice. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to let possessions dictate my life. I'm not going to let the positions or the treasure of this life determine my direction. I'm going to let God guide me in his perfect will. But there's another problem. You've got to have a heart of compassion that lives truly concerned for others, although it may actually cost you something because loving people costs. And helping people will cost you. Now, their rewards, when he goes up there and helps these young ladies, one of them ended up being his wife, had no place to live, and suddenly he finds himself with a house, had no heir, and suddenly he finds himself with a son. So that wasn't a bad deal. But three cases, are you getting this? God gives us a window into those 40 years, and basically he tells us about a choice, and the only other details we have are three moments of intervention and conflict when he says with a heart of compassion and concern, there's someone that's going to die, there's someone that's going to be hurt, there's someone that's going to leave here without water. I've got to step up and be a help and a blessing. But if I do it in the arm of the flesh... 
I'm not a help. I'm just a hurt. I know a lot of good people with good intentions that only hurt people because they hadn't gone through God's spiritual school of leadership. Now, church, please get the, get the point of the message this morning. We're looking at all the problems, the bigger picture and the bigger problems in the national level, in whether that's corporations or politics or job situations or whatever. And God's looking at the individual and saying, we fix this on an individual level. When you become the spiritual leader that I desire you to become. And we talk about God is working and we, we don't see it. Young people, here's what God's trying to do. Okay, you don't, you don't get to pick your first spiritual leaders. Those are parents, okay? God picked those. You didn't get to pick those. But the rest of your life, you get to pick your spiritual leadership. So from that point on, it's on you. Now, here's, here's what I find, okay? This, this is where it's going to get tricky in the service. Those of you that went to another planet, you zoned out, you passed out, you, you went to sleep. Uh, I need you to catch these five minutes. So if you, can, if you could just come together here with me for five minutes. Here's what people don't like. They don't like getting in line with God's word. God's word speaks of spiritual leadership and God using spiritual leadership. Now, young people, this is why it's so important for you to pick the right spiritual leadership. You need to pick someone that God is continually working in and working on and that they are growing and it's noticeable that they're being conformed to the image of Christ. So when you pick a mate, young ladies, you're picking a spiritual leader. So you don't want to come back in 10 years and say, he's not spiritual and he's not a leader. Well, you chose him. Well, he's a leader, but he's not Spiritual. Well, he's spiritual, but he's not a leader. You, you better figure this out in life. At, at 23, 24, 25, he's got a long ways to go, but here's what you better figure out. Is this someone that is submitting to God and spiritual leadership that God has put in his world so that he can become the spiritual leader he needs to become? Because Moses wasn't a very great guy at 25 or 30 or 35 or 40. And God takes him all the way to 80. And then God says, I'm going to give you a million and a half children. And I'm telling you something, I enjoyed my grandson Lincoln. But I was reminded of something over the past two weeks. There's a reason that God doesn't allow 50 and 60-year-olds to have babies <laughs> very often. They're a lot of work. Just playing hide and go seek with those kiddos <laughs> will wear you out. It's an exercise program on a different level. It's just a big burden. Less sleep. You need higher energy. And here's Moses, 80, and he's saying, God, we couldn't have worked this out where we were doing this at 40. And God said, Moses, that's on you. You determine how many times you flunk fifth grade. You can make school 13 years or 15 years or 18 years. I had friends in college that were six-year seniors. Come on, that's not too hard to comprehend. That means they flunked enough classes to stay an additional two years. You're an idiot. There's no way college is that hard. You're not studying to be a doctor. Here's what happens in life, young people. 
You, you better understand that in God's plan and in God's purpose, he wants to develop a spiritual leader in you. But you, young people, you better find the right spiritual leader. This is why in a church, I don't believe I'm the right spiritual leader for everyone. I know Baptist churches, their pastors get mad when people leave. And pastors, listen, I am not the right pastor for everyone, uh, probably not for everyone in this building. <laughs> Definitely not everyone in this city. That's okay. I, I don't struggle with that. If I'm not the right one to be your spiritual leader, find someone that can be your spiritual leader. But for that person that doesn't want spiritual leadership in their life, that's a problem. The first thing I did when my dad passed was call two men and tell them, I need a pastor. I don't want to be wandering around the rest of my life without a pastor. I need someone that will give me honest feedback, brutal feedback, direct feedback. There's no way I can read enough scripture and spend enough time on my knees to, to live my life thinking I'm a free agent without a need of a pastor. I thank God for the dozens of times those two men have helped me through situations and problems and saved me from making a mistake. I thank God for that. But here's what happens. You have a spiritual leader at this point, if you're out of your home, that you chose. Now, this is where it's going to get quiet. Maybe you chose them unsaved. Maybe when you chose them, they were submitted to God and growing Maybe things have changed. Okay? This is why it's even more important. Maybe your dad is still part of your life as a grown adult. Your, they ought to be. Your parents. Maybe your mom helped provide some of that. You need to have a pastor, pastor wife that helped provide that. But for you to be walking through life is if you don't need spiritual leadership, you're in the same state as the children of Israel. Because here's what God did. God said, Israel, you need out. But in order to get out, you need an earthly, physical, spiritual leader. And someone qualified to lead a million and a half people. I look at people that pastor 5,000. I remember when I was in Bible college. You know, you dream of pastoring 2,000, 3,000, That's like my, I wake up and sweat at night thinking I'm pastoring 1,000 people. I'm just, there's no way I want that responsibility. I mean, you, you know, that's crazy to think of someone in this, this category. But God says, in order for you to be prepared for this, your compassion and your concern, and what you, here's what you see over the next 40 years of life, and we have a lot of commentary in the Bible about his love and concern for people, right? He was an incredible spiritual leader. Go back to Exodus 3 and we're finished. We'll see one last thing. What this time in the desert... Forty years in the desert. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee in a Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I? Do you see the work that God's done in this man? When he left Egypt, he was saying, you don't know who I am? I am all that. Yeah. Not only have God's calling, I have been chosen by Pharaoh to be the next Pharaoh, and I turned it down. And now, 40 years later, isn't it ironic that God's going to have the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, 
and Moses already spent 40 years in the wilderness and the death hurt. Moses, you seem to have a lot of knowledge about this place. Yeah, <laughs> God did a lot of prep work right here. I can tell you what path to take and where there's no water. I can tell you how cold it gets at night and how warm it gets during the day. He's called after this the meekest man that ever lived. Now, you want to know when you're truly qualified for spiritual leadership, when you're strong enough to stand against any evil, but meek enough to love anyone standing against you. And here's what happens. God said, I'm going to work in what you don't see. But you know where that work begins? It doesn't begin with Pharaoh. It doesn't begin with the supernatural, the floodgates open. He said, I'm not taking you out of here until I have the spiritual leader qualified and capable of taking you out of here. Here's my question for you today. Most of us have a position of spiritual leadership. Are you qualified for your position? I've got a two-year-old. I've got an eight-year-old. I've got 15 kids in my class. I've got 80 kids in my school. Whatever it is, I don't, I don't care what it is. Every person has different area of leadership. You know what the first qualification is in God's book? Have you truly chosen, you've already chosen possessions and positions and pleasures and all that stuff's not going to have me. I choose to be identified with Christ. But there's a heart of compassion that says, I just want to help people no matter what the cost now, hold on for a second. All that does, all that does, that doesn't qualify you. All that does is open up the door for your entrance exam into his school of faith where he says, now, if I'm going to put you in that spot, it's going to take a lot of humility for you to be the leader you need to be.